above the mass, I watch the swirl of smoke from candles burning. While Mary looked up yearning, I got confirmed and I confessed. I really felt that I was blessed. Plus, I love my uniform. So did the boy who lived next door. But something changed when I became of age. Things I thought were true. Someday I'd break the big time. Testing one two three. Hello hello. Okay, that's better. Sorry for that little technical difficulty on this end. Welcome to the Free Thought Radio Hour. You can call me Doubter Five. I'm Larry Rhodes. We'll be talking on this show about atheism, free thought, humanism, rational thought, and science. Conversely, we'll also be talking about religion, religious faith, uh, holy books, gods, and superstition. And despite what Steve Martin would have you think, there are a lot of atheist songs, and you'll hear some of them right here on this station. We'll also be talking about the atheist and rationalist groups that reside right here in Knoxville and how you can connect with them. Did you know that there's an also an atheist television show broadcasting right here in Knoxville and has been for five years? That's right. We'll talk about that as well. Tonight we have a special go- uh, co-host, a uh, guest, Kevin Scott, why don't you introduce yourself and introduce your telephone guest? Okay, love to. Uh, My name's Kevin, and I've been on the show a couple of times, Uh, have a long history in Christianity before becoming an atheist a number of years ago, probably almost 10 years ago now. And tonight, uh, I'm going to be, Larry and I are going to be interviewing uh, psychologist, uh, I'm sorry, psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Michelle King. Uh, and she's going to share with us her thoughts on some of the research she's she's done on belief, on the effects of belief, uh, on that kind of thing. So uh, let me let me start out by introducing her. Michelle, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, let's make sure your levels are good. So okay, good, good. Looks like your levels are good. We're we're good to go. And you can hear me, okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Awesome, awesome. For those playing along at home, we did all this before the show started, but we never know for sure. So, so we're giving it a shot. Okay, so, and, and I'll call you Shell because that's what I always call you. But, but right. uh, Shell, tell us a little bit about uh, your background in terms of your education, just to give people a. Oh, okay. Wait a minute. We had we had a problem. Just a second. We did have a technical problem. 
okay. Now, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I hear you fine. Okay, good. Good. Okay, does that work, Larry? Uh-huh. We're good. Okay. So, can you tell us a little bit about your, your educational background, um, you know, just to give our listeners a, a chance to say, okay, this person probably has some background. They probably know what they're talking about. Ah, well, I uh, graduated with my bachelor's in science from Northern Kentucky University, uh, did my post-baccalaureate studies at University of Kentucky, graduated from University of Kentucky College of Medicine, um, did my internship at uh, Louisiana State University, did a second internship in family medicine at, uh, of all places, um, Good Samaritan Hospital, which was a Catholic university. And I completed my um, my residency. I'm not going to say where, because um, that kind of outs me. But uh, <laughs> I did complete my, my residency in uh, 1999, and um, I've uh, practiced medicine ever since. And, and now you're doing kind of an interesting type of medicine. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? Um, I'm board certified in, by the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology. Um so that's what I've been practicing since I completed my residency. Okay, so so you obviously have the credentials. Now you write on a number of topics. You have a you have a blog, and you. I you do, I do. I uh, I started my blog. Oh, I guess about ten months ago, and um, I, I haven't been paying as much attention to it lately. Uh, things have gotten a little bit busy here, but uh, I do have a blog. You know what? I don't even know the the name of the okay, so the address of my my blog site. So sure, um, I, I, I'll give I'll give everybody that. It's uh, Doctor Dr. Shell Blog Dr. Shell Blog dot WordPress dot com. So it's Dr. Shell Blog dot WordPress dot com. So yeah, that's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> well, you have other things on your mind. So no, but I, I so so Shell and I. I'm trying to think how we encountered one another. I guess that we did we meet through the blogs or did we meet? Yeah, we did. We did, and uh, and we've had coffee before. Yeah, um, yeah, we had coffee. We had like a four hour yeah, coffee. I think, yeah, uh, just by happenstance, either I read your blog uh, or you read my blog. One of the two. We it just met in cyberspace. And um, um, and then we started emailing back and forth, and um, and then yeah, we wound up um, meeting outside of Knoxville face to face, and um, yeah, and then we've been we've talked on the phone a number of times. Yeah, so we've been friends ever since. Yeah, and and so Shell is really if you if you go over to her blog, it's really a pretty amazing thing that she does because she takes all of her training and all of her experience. And, and goes and finds the research that pertains to things like belief, why we believe what we do, why we um, uh, why we think the way that we think about religion, uh, how how religion affects us, how atheism affects us. Um, and then she goes into certain disorders, too. She wrote a really good piece on narcissism, which informed a, a little novella that a friend of mine and I just got done writing. And, and so th- there's a lot of good stuff there. So if you're interested in why people think the way they do, um, that's a great place to go. So it's it's doctorshellblog.wordpress.com. Okay. 
So dr shell s h e l l blog dot wordpress dot com, and you can you can go over and read her stuff. So so shell, you started out. Um, well, just just tell me a little bit about your your religious experience or your lack thereof. Yeah, um, interestingly, uh, I didn't even realize that my parents were religious until about 20 years ago. They didn't raise my, I have an older brother, firstly, um, but, uh, who is religious. And I, my parents didn't raise either one of us with any religious upbringing. And I honestly didn't know that my parents were religious until I found out about 20 years ago and was kind of surprised by that because they raised both my brother and I very secular. I mean, we never attended any religious services. Um, We didn't pray at mealtimes. We didn't read the Bible. We didn't um, talk about God. We didn't, you know, do any of the things that uh, religious people do. Um, uh, Now, I'd go over to friends' houses and they would be religious and I, I understood that people were in this country, uh, in the United States, but that just wasn't the case in my house. And when I got into college and there were religious people everywhere, um, I, I started feeling like I didn't quite fit in. So I did um, start attend. well, it wasn't in college really until, uh, I guess it was more in uh, medical school. I started... Um, feeling the need, I guess, that uh, I I didn't belong anywhere. Uh, And I started attending synagogue again, um, or for the first time, I should say. And um, I did that for, for, uh, God, I don't know, um, at least 10, 15 years. And um, I I don't know how strongly I believed, uh, you know, on a dock and scale, but... um, but I, I kind of believed in a God, but, um, I, you know, and I would go to synagogue, on, you know, a couple of times a month, and um, I, I would, you know, observe certain rituals at certain times of the year. Um, so you, you, kept and, the, you kept the holidays? Yeah, I would, I would observe holidays. I would observe, you know, Passover, for example, Um you know, and it really wasn't until, I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago that I started really uh, questioning this. And um, and it started to slowly, kind of, you know, kind of fade away. Um, I, I felt it was kind of like waking up uh, where I started realizing that, you know, this is really quite it's quite impossible for this to to be real and um i've i've only been uh you know and then i realized i was an atheist and i i probably had been all this time and uh i've only been openly atheist for i i'd say a little over a year now i'm not openly atheist professionally um too many patients are religious and you know that would be professional suicide to to be openly atheist. Well, but, and, um, in my probably. personal life, uh, around uh, the majority of my friends, I mean, there's still a few friends that uh, don't know, but most of my friends know. My family knows. 
um, and they seem to be coping with it just fine. Okay, interesting. So when you talk about you talk about it being professional suicide, a, a lot of us have a lot of us who are atheists have, have experienced some of that. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a real thing. That's a that's a good segue into um, one of the topics that that I was hoping we could talk about tonight. Let's let's see if I can call up the the uh, the article of yours that I had on this. Um, recently, not not within the last six months, I, I read a study that showed that in terms of Americans' rating of of atheists and trustworthiness. That atheists were on par with rapists as, be, as far as being trustworthy. Um, I think you and I have discussed this before, but can you, you know, can you give some comments on that? How, what it's like? Why, why are atheists so little trusted? What, what might be behind that? I, I think there's, there, there's no single answer to that. Um, I mean, for you know, for one thing, there, there's there's an outgroup mentality behind a lot of that. I mean, um, people are going to rate anyone outside of their outgroup as being untrustworthy. And we still have, uh, you know, a, a country that is, I, I don't know the exact number, but, you know, 69 to 70% Christian. So anyone that's not Christian is, is going to be the outgroup, and they're not going to be trusted. Um, but there's a lot of that going on, and the more fundamentalist the the individual is, the less the less they are likely to trust anyone outside of that group. There's that, um, and and that's a big factor. Um, there's also, I think, um, a lot of stigma. You know, there there are people, uh, whether they're fundamentalist believers or they're Muslim believers or Jews or Christians, you know, um, yeah, New Age, uh, what have you, that, that honestly don't know anything about atheists, atheism, and the only thing they know is what they hear in the pulpit from an imam or uh, a pastor or a rabbi, and what these people, these authority figures are saying are that atheists are immoral, atheists are bad people, you know, they they don't believe in God, they, you know, all they do are run around and rape and kill people. Um, you know, there, there, is, there is some of that. So I, I think it's multifactorial. I think there's there's not one single answer. Right. I'm, I'm sure there are other things. Um, I think that the the atheist movement, and, and certainly the internet, has helped with some of the latter of, you know, educating uh, people, uh, those who are connected anyway, uh, and those who, you know, happen across uh, atheist literature, or um, and more of us are open, more of us are out. Right. Um, you know, uh, Joe Blow down the street who, you know, has helped fix somebody's car who happens to be an atheist. Well, you know, that causes a lot of cognitive dissonance and a lot of people, you know, well, he can't be, he can't possibly be a bad person. Um, you know, those kinds of things. The more people that are, that are open, that, that can possibly be open, that certainly helps. I, uh... But the, the outgroup mentality thing, that, 
that's just sheer tribalism, and that's probably an innate part of our neurology that, you know, that takes a little bit more work. Now, is part of our evolutionary makeup that we are skeptical of people who come from outside our group? I mean, going back to, you know, living in, literally living in tribes, and somebody who dresses different, who acts different, who does things differently than we do, looks differently than we do. Is that something that was part of our evolutionary makeup, or is that something fairly new? Oh, it's very likely part of our evolutionary makeup to have a mistrust of someone who's different. Yeah, I think you're spot on with that. I mean, it would make sense. Okay. I think you're right. That's always what it comes down to with evolutionary psychology, though, isn't it? It's always, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of hard to overcome evolution, but I think we can do it. Well, I think we do all the time. I mean, you know, I think there are... Yeah, it wouldn't be the first time. Yeah, I mean, we choose not to do things that would benefit us because it hurts other people, even when... Well, we're able to step on an airplane and, you know, fly to other countries. I mean, you know, we can do all kinds of things that overcome our evolutionary fears. Right. You know, so, yeah, this is just one more example. So let me ask you a little bit about religious experiences. You wrote some on science transcendence and belief. I personally can say, yes, I've had experiences that at the time I thought were transcendent experiences. I've, in my, at the time that those things happened, in my psychological framework and my values framework, that was the explanation that made the most sense to me. But is this something that's common for everybody? Is it that we all have these experiences that we consider kind of transcendent? I'm not sure I understand what you mean. Oh, yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah, I do understand what you're saying. Well, there are several areas of the brain that we know of, and there are probably other areas that we don't know of that generate all kinds of different feelings in us. The temporal lobe is just one example, and a little area near the temporal lobe called the insula. These generate all kinds of, not just these feelings, they generate other things, face recognition, object recognition, your memory for space, time, place. And, you know, if you had had no cultural framework for a religious experience, and you were, I don't know your circumstances during the time that you had these transcendent experiences, but if you had been doing something and you had had these experiences, if you would possibly have given it a different name, if it, you know, maybe you would have said, wow, that was just euphoric, or, 
you know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your framework maybe is... Maybe you would have attributed it to aliens, for example. Right, um, or altered states of consciousness. You know, depending on whatever your culture was. I mean, I've had um, euphoric experiences uh, being in nature and, you know, not having been raised with any religion. I, I didn't attribute it to a god. Um, it, it, it varies widely. Uh, depending upon the culture in which one is raised, Dr. but yeah, I mean, brain—a a brain is a brain is a brain. I mean, we all have these these areas, all these areas in our our brains that that are perfectly capable of of generating these emotions, these feelings that are very pleasurable, and we're we're very apt to try to repeat these experiences. Uh, if if you're a religious person, you're very likely to you know go back to church or um, you know pray. Right. That's what gave you that experience. Sure, Doctor Shell, I'm going to open the phone lines or at least give the number out so that they can start calling in now if anybody wants to. Uh, this okay. is WOZO Radio 103.9 FM, Knoxville, Tennessee, low power. Uh, you can call in the show, Dr. Us or Dr. Shell at 333-5937. That's 865-333-5937. And, uh, I, I wanted to ask you myself, was there any particular thing during your deconversion process that, that did more than anything else to, to push you into the doubting mode about, uh, about religion? You know, I would have to say there were there were two things. One was um, I volunteered at a um, a nonprofit clinic that was run by fundamentalist believers, and being around all of those folks, um, they were Christian believers, and the experience of being around the the extreme fundamentalism was one thing and also I um, audited a um, uh, a class on comparative religions so I think the combination of the two because it was around the same time right um, that uh, the two I think the, the combination of both of those uh, experiences um, pushed me over the edge I had two tipping points, basically. Uh-huh. I certainly understand. Mine was back in college, and it was basically just one girl that I'd met. She was the first atheist that I ever met. And uh, the conversations that we had uncovered a lot of chinks in my my religious armor. But um, uh-huh. uh, everybody goes, everybody who's an atheist, uh, unless you're born that way, um has has some kind of process like that to go through um, to to reach uh, reality. Um, what was the next thing? Okay, well, no, I wanted to ask you uh, about that. Um, there are a lot of different there are a lot of different religious groups that do uh, psychological care of one kind or another. So, medical care certainly, but but particular psychological care. How do you see how do you see religious belief affecting the way that that psychiatrists and psychologists practice today? Um, Well, I I don't know specific, well, you know what, that's that's 
that's not true. I do know. Um, I know that it impacts care enough to uh, where um, Dr. Uh, Daryl Ray has started a um, a referral network called the Secular Therapist Project, where um, uh, if you're a psychiatrist, a psychologist, or a therapist, and you are secular, I mean, you don't have to necessarily be an atheist, but you, you definitely have to go through a very serious vetting process. Um, you can be on their referral list, and patients who, you know, have either gone through religious trauma or they're recovering from religion, um, that, and they are looking for a non-religious therapist or psychiatrist, uh, they will refer patients specifically to you in your state, wherever you're licensed. So apparently it's um, religion and um, mental health is, a, a, I mean, it, it, it's a bigger deal than I ever thought. Um, when, you know, it, it, someone has had to start a referral network for specifically secular therapists, well, and I mean, so, and I've shared with you. And, and then there's this this deal in Tennessee where therapists are allowed to, you know, not see patients because they're gay. You know, there, there's also that. Yeah, that's so, yeah, we, yeah. Um, so follow up with that then, though. Have you worked with with? And let me let me use what I what the term I use from evangelicalism, and I'm not sure that this is what the term that you would use as a professional, but there was a lot of talk or there is a lot of talk about uh, spiritual abuse, spiritually abusive churches and leaderships and so on. Have you worked with people who've come out of that kind of situation? Um, I'm trying to think if I, how I can word this. Um, I've worked with um, patients that have come from extremely religious environment and have come to a more moderate position. Uh, I will, I will, I will go that far. I will say that. Right. Um, I, I haven't actually, uh, or even to an atheist position. I can't say that I've worked with someone who felt that they were abused by religion. Um, so, no, I, I I can't really say that I've I've worked with anyone who who they, where the patient said that they were abused by religion. But I mean, I think everybody. I think right now the way separation in church of church and state is. But isn't that um, the way the religion? You know, I, I I think religion is is you know doing more harm than good. Um, but isn't that more in the way the religion casts the victim? Uh, you know, I'm they, sorry. They, religion tends to. Tends to blame the the victim. In other words, if, if you are not doing well by your religion, it's you. It's not the religion. It's just uh, the mindset of the religious person. They're not good enough right. for the religion. I guess you can't hear me. I, I I couldn't hear you. Oh well, he he was just commenting. Larry was just commenting that uh, in religion, most of the time we blame the victim. You know, well, oh, yeah. they blame themselves, or they blame oh, yeah. themselves. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, or they blame themselves, and and that makes even seeking help probably a much more difficult thing. Um, 
I worked a little bit with people who who came out of church situations that where they where they had experienced some level of emotional abuse. Um, it is a fairly common thing. But now you made the comment though. You feel like religion in general, the way it affects our society, the way it affects the United States, is I guess what I'm reading into that is is a huge is a huge problem. Can you can you elaborate a little bit on that? Well, it, you know, if, if we had better um, a better handle on, you know, I don't want to make this political, <laughs> I guess, um, but if if we had better church and state separation, and if religion didn't have a, 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 such a privileged position in our society. I mean, I, I look at places like um, the Netherlands, um, you know, um, I, I think we could do a whole lot better than, than what we're doing. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with that. I will, I'll make it political, Shell. <laughs> I, I feel as if um, our, our country is and I don't really care what side of the political spectrum a person's on. I think that that the influence that religion still has over all kinds of things, everything from health care to um, what our children do in school. I, I saw today, I didn't read the article, I saw today, though, that there some some schools in Kentucky are wanting to take uh, children on on field trips to the to the ark and the creation museum. Um which is purely is purely religious. It has, it's not science. Right. It's not history. You know, right. and, and so I mean, I do think that that those those things do affect us. Um, I, I I am not in the camp where I think you know religion is universally bad. I know people do some good things uh, because of their faith, but they probably are good people in general and would do good things if they didn't have faith too. And I think that's right. that's the thing right. that I think exactly. people miss. <laughs> That you don't need exactly. religion to do that. Yeah, and and beliefs matter. Beliefs do matter, um, uh, and 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 the degree to which people believe things matter. Um, there there's been lots of studies about um, the the difference between say fundamentalist believers and moderate believers, um, uh, and and the degree. To which these people harbor bigoted beliefs and, and outgroup mentalities. Um, well, and, and let's—I want to talk to you about that because that, to me, is a is a huge issue uh, when we look at at the population. Because I, I like I like to say not uh, so much about I like to talk not so much about individuals, but how a population responds to a certain idea or a certain effect or whatever. So when we look at the population. And we say, yes, there are people who are bigoted, there are people who do this, do that, that. When it comes down to it, though, how are beliefs correlated with things like bigotry and intolerance and so on? I mean, are those are those strongly correlated? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they are. Um, um, and, you know, I, I, it, I, I can't uh, pull up the, the, the various and sundry times and ways that this has been studied over time, but um, yeah, this was all over the place. Um, the more 
fundamentally, now this is only, I've, I've only read about this in Christianity. I have no idea if this correlates in, say, you know, Islam or uh, other religions. I, of that, I, I'm not sure. But uh, I do know in Christianity, at least, um, yeah, this has been strongly correlated with fundamentalist believers or biblical literists, literalists. So, so without, but, particularly without group mentality, um, uh, intolerance. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I just I, I think a lot about black white thinking. I don't mean racially black white. I mean something's either black or it's white, and and people kind of jump to those conclusions. Is that is that common across the population, or is that? Uh, limited to certain groups, like it, it, does it vary based on intelligence? Does it vary based on education? How does that how does that break down? You know, I don't know the answer to that. Well, Shell, <laughs> I was just supposed to have questions. You're supposed to have the answers. I don't know if it's related to intelligence. I have no idea. I don't have I don't have in front of me, and so I can't I can't really. I can't really uh, I say what no it was, idea. but I, but I I believe that I read that that um, I've, I've written about it before. But, but there, um, but that the I have no no idea. It's probably it, it may be in one of my articles. Uh, I have no idea. Let me go ahead and take this. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna do a break now. So um, pass it back to Larry. Identification and a short message. This okay. is WOZO Radio one hundred three point nine LPFM in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, and here's a short message from the Atheist Society of Knoxville. If you live in or around the Knoxville area and are questioning your religious beliefs or simply believe in one less God than everyone else, well, you're not alone. The Atheist Society of Knoxville is a fun and friendly group of people just like you that meets twice a week at a bar or restaurant. We meet every Tuesday night following the show at Barley's Room and Pizzeria for happy hour. You'll find our group either inside or on the patio. Look for Richard Dawkins' silver-jacketed book, The God Delusion, standing upright on the table. On Fridays, we meet at Agave Azul or the Beard and Beer Market. But if you plan to preach, prophetize, provoke or punch, please don't. We all question what we believe at one point in our lives. If this is the time for you, come join us for food, drink, conversation, and fun. Okay, so that was a commercial that uh, Larry just ran for the Atheist Society in Knoxville, and I wanted to say something about that. Is that okay? okay. It was a message. We don't do commercials. Oh, okay. It was a message. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. no commercial. No, so so I started going to, the, on Tuesday nights at Barley's Tap Room, uh, the atheists all get together and, and just talk, drink beer, um, eat, and we have a great time. In the time that I've been going, there was probably maybe a year been going there, something like that. Um, I got to meet a lot of a lot of really interesting people. Really enjoy being there, and uh, a couple couple crazy people. But we, if you sit at the wrong end of the table, then you might get <laughs> might have trouble with that. Yeah. But here's what I got to say: If you're listening to this program and you're an atheist and you're sometimes feeling like, how can I make friends with other atheists? How can I get other people who think the way that I think in my life, or maybe challenge my thinking? in my life. Tuesday nights at Barley's in the Old City is a great place to go. It's informal. It's fun. Uh, we also get together occasionally to, you know, randomly play cards or, or do some other things like that. But it's it's a great it's a great thing to yeah, do. So beer and pizza. Come out. 
and it is a family environment because they don't allow smoking there. It, it's a, it's a bar, but yes, it's also a restaurant, and we uh, we have a lot of uh, families with kids. Yeah, there's usually well. there's usually three, four, five kids there. So you're yeah. welcome if you have kids. Yeah, and you can come. You can come late if you don't get off work early enough. You can come at seven instead of six thirty or whatever. I mean, it it doesn't matter. You can leave whenever you want to leave. Very it's, fluid. Yeah, so it, it's a lot of fun. You get to meet some neat people, and uh, yeah, come out and join us. So anyway, okay, Shell, you still with us? Yeah. I'm awesome. Still here. Okay. Well, getting back to getting back to you know kind of the how people think um are we predisposed toward religious belief i mean is that something that we you know neurologically kind of tend toward how does that work out and is that changing well yeah i you know the the most um the most likely reason is that we we probably evolved to um to believe these things um, I mean, we, we definitely have these, these little areas in our brains, of course, like we had talked about. But uh, we also have certain patterns of thinking. Uh, we, we have overactive agency detection. Uh, okay, well, let me stop you there. Overactive agency detection. Tell us what that is. Sure. Um, we, we see agency in things. Um, we, we ascribe... Um, Intellect and motive. Um, and right. If, I mean, kids will do this. Uh, you know, they'll they'll see a pointy rock and they'll say, you know, well, that that pointy rock is for animals to scratch on, for example. Um, you know, well, we get a little more sophisticated with that as we get older, but um, but we still see purpose in 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 things. And, you know, I'm sure we've all, you know, as we've we've come out as, as atheists as adults, people will will tell us, well, but look at the trees. You know, isn't this planet just perfect for, for us? I mean that that's agency. Right. You know, ascribing a, a purpose to the planet. Um, things like um, dualism, uh, believing that our our brain and our mind are, are somehow two separate things. You know that could, therefore a soul, right? Um, uh, tribalism, you know, which is in, innate in us, very likely. Uh, our 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 need for certainty. Uh, we 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 don't we don't deal with uncertainty very well, right? You know that um, we we don't we don't understand. Uh, you know, a lot of these are, are things, reasons that uh, evolution is very difficult for, for us to grasp as well, um, quite honestly. But it's also the, the reason that it, it's, it's very hard for us to, to not believe in uh, a God. Um, well, and, and I guess in addition to that, too, you have right now, and, and I guess for the last, I don't probably 30 years, maybe longer, in evangelicalism, there's been a movement toward, you know, finding your divine purpose. You know, God created you for a reason. He put you where you are for a reason. You need to figure out what that reason is. And that could simply be the same the same thing, right? We're just trying to figure out, my life must mean something because, after all, I have a life. It must mean something. God didn't do this randomly. So it's assigning right. that, that purpose, right? Right. Right. And 
and how I've seen that work out is interesting to me because I would think, well, if God has a purpose for your life and he's God and he knows everything and he's omnipresent so he's there with you, and you would think it would be up to him to tell you. Right. But, right. But he that, didn't call me. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't. Yeah, the boss uh, told me to call me when he wanted me to come in. Um, so, so I, I do think that there's that. But, but we put that on ourselves. We we have to seek a purpose. I have to believe that I'm more than just uh, survival and reproduction. Right. Um, you know, and 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 I do think and, that's and, or or more than you know, we we make our own purpose. Well, we do that. I mean, I do that now. I'm sure you do right. too. Well, uh, we all do. But but it's consciously like I'm choosing I'm choosing this rather than rather than oh this has been given to me by some ethereal whatever. Yeah, I read on the internet it says purpose is made, not given, and that sums it up pretty well. You have to make your own purpose in life. Yeah, and sure. it, now when you when you you said it was a gradual process of you leaving faith. Or leaving, whether you ever had faith or not, you seem ambiguous about that. Maybe I didn't have faith. I don't know. Um, was that a was that a crisis for you, or was that simply, oh, I you know, I guess I got up this morning, I realized, yeah, I'm, I don't believe. No, it, it really wasn't. I mean, I, I hadn't been indoctrinated, and I, I went seeking um, mainly because I live in the U.S. and I'm. You know, you're as, as you well know, you're surrounded by religion, and I didn't. You know, this was in the the early '80s, and you know, atheism wasn't a thing. So, um, you know, your only choice is religion. So I I basically went to religion because that that was what was available. So. Uh, you know, that's what I mean. I, I, you know, I was, I would be considered a weak believer. Uh, I never really gave it a lot of thought, to tell you the truth. Um, uh, it, it wasn't a big crisis or anything. The, the biggest crisis was, you know, not being surrounded by the people that I met. Um, mm. You know, how do I tell people? Um, how do I, how do I, you know, come out? Um, how hidden do I need to be? I, it was more of a social issue than, than you know, there is no God. Um, you know, that that really wasn't a big deal. Um, well, and, and how much is our need for social contact really driving, in, in your in your opinion? I know you may not have any any data on this, but how is our need for social contact really driving? A lot of the religious events, experiences. Religion does that really well. Um, that's the one thing religion does is um, it, it provides the social contact for people, and, that, and that's been borne out in the in the literature, especially for the elderly. Elderly folks who are religious do better in in a lot of measures. I, you know, I can't rattle them off the top of my head uh, at the moment but um, they they do really well uh, if they're religious because of the social Versus, contact right because of the social right because right. they're they're you know getting around other people um, at least once a week 
oftentimes more than once right, a week. Right, right. Um, you know, the the atheist community would do well to um, continue with the Sunday Sunday assemblies. Um, I, I mean, I, I think that's a great idea. Um, you know, steal one from from their rule book. No, well, we, now, yeah, let, let's let's talk about that for a minute. Go we, ahead, Larry. We do have one in Knoxville meets the fourth Sunday of every month. It's it's growing pretty strong, though. I understand uh, starting off at like. 10 or 15 members a year ago, year and a half, and now it's up to 75 or 80 members. I mean, it's it's doing really well, and uh, it's a very enjoyable type of congregation. Uh, we're drawing at least that much from church, but without the <laughs> guilt and without the stress, and uh, the things that they teach are generally science-based, so we can count on that being true as well. Right. Is, is true as we can make it. In music, and you right. have different, yeah. I, That's true. And and they also do the Sunday Assembly here in Knoxville. I don't know about anyplace else, because it's a international movement. Yes, it started in England. The um, the Sunday Assembly here in Knoxville, uh, which I don't go to very often. I'm rarely in town on Sundays, just in case you go thinking, oh, Kevin will be there. He won't be there. Uh-huh. Um, but they also do some. Yeah, I, I haven't been yet. So but I, I plan on going when I when I get the opportunity to be in Knoxville yes. on a Sunday. So, but it's um, it's a you know they do some social things and weeknights too. This week they're uh-huh. going to play cards and and do some different things. So, I mean it's it's a fun thing to to do and some some great people. Uh, and it's a great way to get some socialization. And by the way, I wasn't meaning you necessarily, Shell, would come and look for me. I was no, thinking. I think it's a, it's a, it's a great idea. It, w- it really is. I thought maybe one of the millions of listeners today would want to come and show up hoping to meet me. That's what I was thinking <laughs> would happen. Um, so, so how do you see, how do you see psychiatry and, and mental health changing? You know, how have you seen it change in the last, decade or so, and how do you see it changing in the coming years as we see less emphasis on religion and, and that kind of thing? Is that is that something you see changing? Well, in the last decade, um, you know, it depends on where you work, uh, and it, it depends on if you work for the government, um, if you're in private practice, if you work for an organization, what state you live in. Um, I mean, it, it's really variable. Um, and, and as for the future, it, it really depends on the laws. I mean, this, you know, this new law has me really concerned. Uh, the, the new Tennessee law where, you know, <laughs> therapists can, you know, uh, refuse to see gay couples. I mean. Well, and, and, let, and let's talk about that for a second. Um, it's not just they can refuse. You can basically refer, refuse to see anyone who you have a religious objection right, to see, right. correct? Right. Yes. Exactly. So exactly. that could be if, if it, yeah, if it um, violates your your deeply held religious beliefs, um, which you know, in in to me, uh, having been a psychiatrist for you know twenty five years, um, I have I've never had someone. Well, I don't have any religious beliefs, but um, I, I've seen I've never not seen a patient. Um, you know, and patients have, have generally been religious. Um, you know, I just, I can't imagine not seeing a patient, refusing to see a patient. Yeah. I can't and, imagine it. And do you, I'm, I'm curious if you think that already was happening, though, before the law. 
Oh, I'm, I have no doubt. <laughs> I have absolutely no doubt. But they would be open to litigation. Is the for I mean, discrimination? That would be the for discrimination, you mean? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's and that's a problem, and I I, I see that happening and, in Tennessee. And as they should be. Yeah, they should be. for sure. I see that happening in Tennessee. I'm curious what what it's like. Are we seeing that same kind of environment in other places? And you may not know. I mean, are we seeing that same kind of environment in in uh, states like New York or California or whatever, where they're where they're less religious? I'm sorry. Are we are we seeing the same kind of? It seems to me, and this is social commentary, and I don't know that it's accurate. I don't have any data for this, but it seems to me that we have seen, you know, the pendulum always swings, and it swings from, uh, it swings from one extreme of complete license to the other extreme of, of complete, maybe you know, conservatism, uh, fascism, whatever. But I mean, the, I feel like the pendulum is always swinging in society. Right now, I feel like, uh, and again, this is what I feel, so it doesn't have much credence, but I feel as if the country is moving in a more conservative, restrictive way. And so the idea that the past was better, the idea that um, we had better values in the 50s, 60s, 70s than we have today, um, that kind of thing seems to be something we're pulling towards. So when we say, you know, Christianity's under attack, uh, Christianity's not under attack in the vast right. majority of things. But, but that's the, right. that's what's repeated. And so we respond to it by becoming more restrictive, saying, well, you know, you don't have to bake cakes for gay people. You know, you don't have to, you know, we're going to make that a law that you can say no to gay people. Well, you know, that kind of thing, it, it, I mean, is, it, it, I don't know how you feel about it. I feel like our society has moved that direction, at least in places like Tennessee. I mean, I live in Tennessee, so I can say that. But do you see that same kind of thing happening overall, or is it kind of an isolated, maybe deep south thing or whatever? Yeah, I do. I do see it that way. Um, it, it, and I find it very concerning. Um, I, I, I don't think that there should be, um, you know, laws... For, for, I mean, you know, a baker, whatever. Um, uh, I mean, I don't agree with it, but uh, when it comes to healthcare providers, that's a different ball of wax. You know, people people should not be allowed to discriminate uh, when it comes to healthcare providers. And if a healthcare provider is refusing to see patients because they have, you know, some religious hang-up, well. They need to be able to appropriately refer that patient. Right. And if they, they don't do their job, well, then they should be open to litigation like anyone else. Um, you know, religion should not be getting a free pass well, right. because it's a deeply held religious belief. Uh, you know, that that's, you know, yeah. So I find it very concerning. Um, and, and I do think that it's moving in a... In a the wrong direction. Um, yeah, I, um, now I agree with you, Kevin. I, I agree with you. I, I find that this is this is not moving in the appropriate direction. 
Right. We also, and, I, and by the way, Larry just reminded me, I need to reintroduce you in case somebody came in late. Uh, my name's Kevin Scott, and I'm talking to Dr. Michelle King, a psychiatrist and atheist, a, a little bit about some of the things that she's researched and written about and just just things in general, because she's a pleasant person. I like Shell. And you're listening to the Free Thought Radio Hour. It comes on every Sunday, 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock. Be sure to tune in next week. We have another 10 minutes to go on here, so stay with us. Okay, so so I think there's another aspect of this, too, though, in terms of health care. We now have movements to restrict health care simply because of religious beliefs. So we have, we have uh, for the Affordable Care Act, we have people saying, well, it, you know, you shouldn't have to pay for birth control. Um, right. Is, is that something you see changing, or is it becoming that kind of thinking becoming more prominent? Um, you know, I, I don't write for birth control, but... <laughs> um, that, that's another good example of things becoming more conservative. Uh, and it's funny, I was just thinking about that. I, I, I was also thinking about how Tennessee rejected expansion of the Affordable Care Act. Um, yet another example of things becoming more conservative as opposed to more progressive. Uh, instead of ensuring more Tennesseans, um, Tennessee voted to restrict um, Medicare and Medicaid expansion. Uh, this, this was in 2015, but you know it, it's it, it's the, the same principle. Uh, now, when, instead of uh, you know expanding under the ACA, well, when when people though vote against their their own self interest, which I, I we haven't talked about it tonight, but I mean it's been a topic that's been brought up a lot in the last. I know couple I could I could cycles. talk for an hour on that. Well, <laughs> let me ask you a question about that though. Is there a a neurological basis for why people can say I don't have insurance, but I'm going to vote against the expansion? Is there some is there some reason why they do it? Is it tribalism? What 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 really is at the root of that? You know, I, I really don't know. I, I think a lot of it is, um, you know, well. Grandpa was a Republican, and Dad, Mom were Republicans, and therefore I'm a Republican. Um, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of a lot of that, a lot of you know, just genealogy, um, and um, you know, growing up in a Republican state, uh, everybody around you is of that mentality. Uh, you know, the only thing you ever hear is. Well, we want smaller government. We don't want the government doing this and that. And that's all you ever hear your whole life. And you just, you don't investigate further. Well, what, what does all this mean? You know, what, what do you mean by smaller government? What does, what does that really mean? Um, so, some of it's based on just, you know, ignorance. I mean, you know, what does that, what does all that really mean? What is, what does it mean to be Republican? What does it mean, what does, you know, expanding the ACA really mean? Um, how how does that impact everyone? What gets me about what gets me about the Republicans and, and I get on a short soapbox is that no matter how small they want the government to be, uh, whenever they they're on the side of passing laws, it always seems to be a, a government that infringes on your personal life, like uh, uh, contraceptive and abortion and, and 
one thing right. after another. Right. Um, or if, yeah, two men or two it, women want to get married, it's, then it's okay. Yeah, it's never never small enough when it comes to that. they got to have that in your life. We're going to have to close up now. Do you have any final statements or anything that you'd like, to, any message you'd like to get out? Uh, pardon? Do you, do you have any final thoughts uh, as we're tying it up? Um, the only one I can think of is that beliefs beliefs matter, and like I said, and the the veracity of the beliefs matter. Um, and I'm glad that you're doing this uh, this radio show, Larry. Oh, well, happy to believe and, me. Uh, I appreciate being on. Thank and, you. And thank oh, you're you, for, awesome. thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. Okay, and we're going to close up here in a little bit. We have a short message about the rationalists of East Tennessee first. Let me give a, a station identification before we go into that, because we probably won't come out again after we do it. We'll do a song. So this is uh, WOZO Radio 103.9, low-power FM in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, this is a short message from the rationalists of East Tennessee. Here we go. Do you find stories of talking snakes laughable? Do you prefer the scientific method over supernatural beliefs? Are you concerned about religious leaders and organizations imposing their values and rules on your body, your family, and the rest of our society? Well, take comfort in the fact that you're not alone. The Rationalists of East Tennessee meets weekly for fellowship and provides a forum for people who support skeptical thinking and rational discussion of these and other issues. To find out more information or to find out about our next meeting, visit us on the web at www.rationalist.org. Scene. I always feel I have to take a stand, and there's always someone on hand. 